Working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everybody, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer Billy Thomas. After moving to Nashville from Los Angeles in 1987, Billy immediately began working with award-winning singer-songwriter and instrumentalist Vince Gill. He's been a member of Vince's touring band ever since and regularly plays and sings on many of Vince's records. Billy is also a member of the multi-Grammy-nominated Western swing band The Time Jumpers. Billy has recorded and or toured with Patti Loveless, Emmylou Harris, Steve Warner, Marty Stewart, Ricky Nelson, Don Williams, Earl Scruggs, and Dolly Parton. During the early 90s, Billy was a founding member of the MCA Records trio, McBride and the Ride. As a songwriter, Billy's songs have been recorded by many artists, including McBride and the Ride, Vince Gill, Dottie West, Little River Band, Ricochet, The Oak Ridge Boys, and Andy Griggs. Just a reminder, if you're compelled to support what we do here at Working Drummer Podcast, there are a couple different ways that you can donate. We have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash workingdrummer, where you can do a monthly donation at many different levels with many different prizes and incentives involved with that. We also have a PayPal button that we've put on the website, so if that is of interest, that might be an easy route for you. Anything and any amount is really helpful to the three of us keeping this thing rocking. We also have t-shirts available, and we've just designed that to be really simple. Just reach out to us through the contact page. To find out more about this episode and all the episodes that we've done over the last three years, you can find us at workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and while you're there, leave a rating and review. It really helps us grow. So here's my conversation with Nashville drummer Billy Thomas. This has always been a song-driven community, bottom line. Yeah. Songs are the well. People benefit from those by going in. Our job as drummers is to go in and record those songs and then to, to back up and perform those songs with the artists to go out there and play them. And um, I just think there's a bigger well. The, the well is opening up here in the city, and I think that other influences mm-hmm. are actually making some inroads. Whereas when I moved here, it was a lot tighter knit. It was you you had a the 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 everybody was really proud of country music. And when I moved here, I said I'm gonna I'm gonna really I'm moving from California. I said I've got to take that hat off. And mm. put a new one on, put some new skin, find out what's going on. And because I think I came in with that attitude and and going, I'm going to respect this for what it is. I'm going to find the soul in country music mm-hmm. was one of the things I told myself. And I got really lucky. And I, I got hooked up with some really great people yeah. right at the onset. But it was it was my, I think my 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 conscious effort to 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 uh, immerse myself right. in this style of music, yeah, and show respect for the community. Can you tell me more about what you're saying about opening up? Where you say it was a it was a tight knit community, and and I felt that way a bit in 2000. Even uh, maybe I was wrong, but I, but now, no, yeah, more so. So you were saying you were in Manhattan just just this past week, yeah. 
this you mentioned uh, as a jazz drummer, Rudy's Jazz Absolutely. Club just yeah. opened up, and that's been like a big thing for this town. I have a couple drum buddies who are playing there, and they're they're getting by. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a genre. I say it's a growing process, but they're doing it. Yeah. And and uh, and I, which means there are patrons there are clientele who want to who want to hear jazz yeah and support that yeah and then they're you know they're what what we were talking about earlier about uh broadway is thriving it is whatever you think of broadway and whatever it is i think it's people's first impressions of our city a lot of times Mm. broadway is that Mm mm-hmm and you can say it's like Austin, 6th Street, or you can say, um, I don't know too many places in America that have that much live music in such a condensed Maybe area. New Orleans, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. But I'm saying club after club after club. The first yeah. time I went to Austin and I saw club after club, and there was some different genres going on. Right. I just went, wow, this yeah. is pretty crazy. Yeah. And now we've got the same... Same sort of thing going on. Right, right. It's it's amazing. And a lot of people say Nashville is Music City. Now, it's not just country music that everyone thinks. It is Music City, and, it, and, it, and we kind of throw that out there. But I don't know if we really know what we're saying. You know what I'm well, saying? Well, yeah, yeah. I think people, I think locals are learning. Yeah. They're learning about what it is, along with learning about. It's a southern city. It's an older southern city. They're learning about Indian cuisine. They're learning about uh, there's cultures, you know, and that's exciting to me. I also feel like there's this really obvious influence from the musicians that come here from all over the place as well. Yes. Yeah. So when you were in California, what were you doing out there? What, how were you finding work and what kind of work were you finding? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of a... That was my, as blues musicians would say, that was paying dues. <laughs> I moved there with a, with a rock trio, and we thought we were going to have some some really, you know, we had stars in our eyes, obviously. Mm-hmm. Picked up, had a brand new bride. We, we drove west from Fort Myers, Florida, all the way across I-10. The bride and the ride, not McBride. No, oh, the I, bride. Yeah, right, oh, okay, right. sorry. <laughs> so we drove out to uh, California, and... We played three weeks at this one club, and then the work went away. And luckily, she found work uh, with a really good, solid employer. Mm-hmm. But I was starving. I was not mm-hmm. ha- happening. And it was a really good time to be in Los Angeles. There was a lot of stuff happening at that time. We're talking 74. So there were, there were the Eagles were alive and well. Yeah. Um, Everything up, up and down the the the, the scene, the, the Rainbow, the Roxy, the Starwood. I think about these clubs that were out there that were really, good. and so was the session thing was still a lot, mm-hmm. still doing really well. Um, uh, Hal Blaine was doing his thing. Uh, Picaro, I think Picaro was, yeah, yeah. was tearing it up, and you could go see them. And I used to go to the Baked Potato and watch. When Jeff would play there, I'd see him play, or, I'd, or uh, let's see, I remember seeing Abel Boreal Jr. in a club called At My Place when it was in the Valley, and 
just I just happened to see him and I was going, wow, this guy's really good. I don't know. And I knew about his dad, you know, mm-hmm. I'd seen his dad play, but not, I didn't even know about him. Wow. And uh, yeah, there were a lot of people that, that were heavily, er, that were heavy influences on me as a pop drummer and a rock drummer. Okay. It, it was it was a place a really great place to be. Yeah, and the reason I ended up there was because I always thought that uh, Manhattan or New York just it, it intimidated me, man. Just just looking at pictures and mm-hmm. stuff, and just the vo- sheer volume coming from a little sleepy town in Fort Myers and uh, Fort Myers, Florida. It was just too much, I, yeah. and I had I had been there once, and I went, oh, this is way too many people, yeah. too much traffic, too all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff mm-hmm. for me to feel comfortable in. And so we lived out there, but it took me a long time. I had to. Uh, I ended up driving a truck. I was driving a furniture truck, delivering furniture. Yeah. When I got my first audition, with uh, these guys called the Hudson Brothers, and they had a Saturday morning show called Razzle Dazzle. And I believe it was a nationwide show, and they had a few albums out on MCA. And I thought, okay, I got this. And I said, mm-hmm. they're, they're a national touring act. I'm not going to stop now. I made a promise to myself that, that once I was in out there, I really felt like a pro for the first time. I'd okay. been playing for money in the club scene and in Florida. In Flo- okay. But out there, it really made me feel like, okay, I want to do this. I want to see what I can do, how to be a studio musician. And that required reading a little bit more. It required uh, uh, being a professional, getting yourself, uh, you know, back then when there were no, uh, we didn't even have voicemail. There was a, there was a, a, a cartridge <laughs> company that you called, called Arlen's. And I got involved with that. And they would, they would call you and say, you've got a session. Do you, can you take this session? Or if you, then when pagers came in, that, that kind of changed things. I mean, it was really, we look at back at it now and technology has just completely changed. It's amazing. I hear stories of, of just answering machines that you could call and check in on and people would be calling them constantly and they'd be on tapes. Oh, absolutely. You'd have everybody be on pay phones in between trying to figure out what was coming? You had to call your codephone, and and yeah. then you'd pick up your messages and find out what's going on. And I was like, a di- just a different scene. It was different, and everybody dealt with it their own way, you know. Yeah. And some of the really, the guys who were crushing it, um, and I mean successfully, would yeah. have they they may have their early phones in their car, which was just like unheard of. <laughs> Nobody had that, you know. So it's pretty That's- crazy. Coming up in Florida, did you have uh, what was your education with 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 music and drumming? Did you have a teacher, private teacher, or in school? Or I had. I'm a self taught. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Self taught player. Yeah. I guess I I guess that I had to compensate with the discipline to wake up every day and and then connect with my wife at the time and say. Hey, is is I'm I'm going to do this. I'm really giving it a shot. I had a little practice pad set. And I would play in hotel rooms and then go play at night mm. in these little clubs. And most of the stuff I grew up on was was rock. I mean, I grew up playing that, not necessarily heavy. I mean, I wasn't like an ACDC, Alice Cooper mm. thing. It was more pop related yeah. than that. Yeah. And the clubs down there at that time, the mid-70s, required that you played dance music, you know? Down in and, Florida. And down in Florida, uh-huh. yeah. So... 
it was a perfect place to cut my teeth, you know, to get to know people and to play. And I, and I got to play with some really talented people there. Yeah. But then there was a time where I just felt I'm not, I'm spinning my wheels. And these other two guys were anxious to get to California. And so I said, I'm going to try it. Yeah. And then when I got the, the, the Hudson Brothers gig, it just made me realize um, that was the scene I wanted to be in for a while. I didn't know how long I was going to do it, mm -hmm. you know. And then I went from there and I got a, while I was doing that, um, I got an offer to go out with Ricky Nelson, who was a, like an international star, you know, sure. at that time. Went out, did um, about two years with him. I was about a year and a half or two years with the Hudsons, then Ricky Nelson, then Mac Davis went out. And then I started playing in Las Vegas and Lake Tahoe and all these things. And it was uh, my wife and I had two sons at yeah. that time. Uh -huh. So I was looking for a little bit more consistency in right. pay. And Mac Davis was a, was really an upgrade there, you know, towards consistent pay because I could work whatever, 12 weeks of the year with him and then go out and do my other things mm -hmm. uh, on the side in Los Angeles, still kind of keep a hold of a, of a B or C team uh, session scene that I was involved with, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And uh, I met some other players at that time, mainly through the Hudson Brothers, and we formed a band, and we were called Combo Nation. <laughs> yeah, that's what we called ourselves. <laughs> and this was this is another one of those disciplines where you go, um, I'm going to toy with this, but I still have to make a living. Yes, yeah. So we were together 10 years. That's what the podcast is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So we were together 10 years and we got an offer, we got multiple offers for, for signing. And so we, we ended up going with Warner Brothers Records mm -hmm. and Ted Templeman, who's a big deal or was at that time, had produced Doobies and Van Halen and mm -hmm. all these other groups. I mean, he was a big, big cheese. We waited for him. We put a record out. And it didn't do anything. <laughs> mm. And then we put another record out under a different name band, switched labels. And uh, and then after that, um, my wife and I talked and we just felt like it was the right time to make a move. She wanted to move back to Florida. And I just thought, I can't go back yeah. to, to this. Let me so, let me ask you real quick. Yeah. After you made the moves, during the time you were in, were in L.A., were there any revelations or or epiphanies about your approach to playing or the business in general that you learned about that you could only learn about in a place like Los Angeles or with the players that you were working with during this time? Um, I guess looking back on that, I always felt like a small fish in a big ocean. There mm -hmm. was so much talent there. It's yeah. kind of like... Um, it's kind of like Nashville is now that was going on there in mm -hmm. the, the 70s and 80s for me. There were people moving there and, and trying, to make, trying to make a living. And I always felt more comfortable finding touring acts and basing myself out of there with touring acts as I did trying to, trying to, to mm -hmm. bust into the, to the session scene. Mm -hmm. There was such talent. And there were so many people who were really entrenched in that scene yeah. that it made it it made it harder for me. So I so I opted. I figured this is a business. You can be as proud as you want to be and go after. 
I'm only going to do session work. I'm mm-hmm. only going to play sessions or play on these people's yeah. records, CDs, whatever it is now. Um, and I was never too, I, I tried to keep that pride in check by going, I'm going to play with people I respect. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, uh, not everything was, was the greatest music to me, but everything was the, the money was the same. And it mm-hmm. was, I'm proud of the choices I made. They were, yeah. they were, uh, they were good. They were good choices. They fed my family. They paid my mortgage. They did everything they were supposed to do to help my kids. And I, I know my kids saw a lot of ups and downs. Right, right. Drumming is not for the weary, or for, you know, the, the faint of heart. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Drumming yeah. is, is uh, you got to know your place. You got to be part of a team, which we talked about yeah, earlier. Yeah. You're talking about your sons. And know that you're part of a team. Know that you're trying to make. The whole thing to me is, is being around either the, the person who is most in focus is the singer, you know, most mm-hmm. mainly that uh, the ones that I've known so far, those bands, still the singer, propelling that song, trying to get the masses mm-hmm. to receive that song. And then you get, you get, a, you get a, great, a great band around them, especially a drummer. My dad always said, you know, drums to me move people. They're primitive, yeah. and they really do move people. So I took that on, and I said, I'm going to always try and make people dance. Yeah. That's my, and I'm still doing that. I play in a Western swing band every Monday night. It's not, this is, I I didn't come from that place, but my parents were both big band. They loved big bands. They met while big bands were happening in the Mm -hmm. Second World War. So that was in my soul. Right, I I hadn't played any brushes before. I want to get into that because it it all kind of intertwines. But it it it's 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 my philosophy on why I'm still working at my age. You Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. is that I I feel like I know my place, and my I don't mean like being put down. I feel like I know my place is really important to help propel. Yeah, partly, partially to help prepare these songs and yeah. these things, uh, the vocalists that are out there, and mainly, it happens to do more because I'm a singer, also. Yes, and yeah. that puts a whole different slant on things. Yeah. So one of the things I, I was I was kind of driving at was was when I moved to Nashville, there were little adjustments in my perspective as a drummer, my role as the drummer, and kind of my approach to playing. One of the things that I learned moving to Nashville was the connection between the drummer and the singer and you, the importance of the singer mm-hmm. and how, uh, it, and even you, you're, you're talking about L.A. in the 70s and 80s reminds me of my conversation with George Lawrence and he ma- made a mention that a great singer can just make a really successful band. But we also know that a great drummer can make a band sound, any band sound great. That's exactly right. So to combinate just those two elements sometimes alone can just be magical. Yeah. And you're talking about factors towards what I'd say is a successful, yeah. uh, you know, uh, thing of how, how, how the song, first the song, yeah, then the delivery of that song. Yeah. And to me, I think drums, uh back then seemed really important to a track hmm. where they were they 
they seem important to tracks now, but stuff is a whole different expression. You can have you can have a, a, a live drummer interplaying with uh, a loop, yeah, and make the same sort of thing. It's just a, it's a different thing. It's it's right. finding that that groove that in, and it's interaction. Yeah, it's not by itself. Yeah, we both know that. We yeah. both know that machines are great. But it's the interaction, the interplay around those that so make may, the track. So maybe then when when there w- wasn't an electronic element as prevalent, especially depending on the style of music, mm-hmm. probably more often than not, it was just the drums providing the percussion and, and, and everything else, the percussive element of the song. It, it carried a heavier load to to the groove. Is sure that what you're saying? Absolutely. And the guys that did the major amount of work and were the big influences – totally got that they were not i don't think that i mean uh if picaro was alive right now i'm sure he would agree that yes you that his um uh, his drum parts to those records were so forceful were so important to africa to uh, to Rosanna, to do you think about those hits? They were massive, but there were also other elements in those records that were that were huge. You you go back and you think about well, the guy had a really high voice too. Mm. that sang that, <laughs> or Lukather had the incredible you know guitar right. solos soaring over this. It was a unique band for its time. Yeah, and that's just an example. Yeah, I think about Jim Keltner and think about what he's done and his body of work out there, and I never really got hip to Jim Keltner until I moved here, which is crazy. I mean, I really never got hip, and he played with this this band, Little Village, and I just went nuts. Yeah. And then I found out about Nick Lowe, and I found out about John Hyatt, and I found out about... It was, a, it was a whole rebirth to me. But you're talking about songwriters, and you're talking about important producers and players and songwriters that have always put the song first. People coming up in the music business, the, the well with YouTube and the well with is, is, is astounding to me. Yeah. I don't get on it that much just because of my, I, I'm just, I'm just kind of lazy, I guess is what you'd call that. But, right. um, I see around me, the people on the bus studying YouTube and just go, you can go and go, down this rabbit hole forever. You it's know? amazing. It's incredible. Yeah. And um, I think that that is the biggest, or one of the biggest perpetuators of, of showing people what things were like and them actually going, wait a minute, that's like black and white footage of somebody. They're playing their butt off. Yeah. And there's no tricks. There's no fixes. There's no... Any of the stuff that we have now, the editing abilities and all that stuff, mm-hmm. weren't around. You saw people play, and that's that's what they did. That was their performance. So right now, there's my son is 16, and he's about ready to get his driver's license. And I'm finding out that that's a rare thing, that a 16-year-old would actually get their driver's license at 16. There's more and more young people that are not getting their license and just kind of waiting 18, 19, 20 before they even get a driver's license. Where when I was 16, I could not wait to get my driver's license. I think most of us wanted to or needed to. Where I'm going with this is that one of the theories is the social element of being able to go where you want to go to be with your friends is no longer necessary. You pick up your phone, your laptop, your phones, your, your friends are right there. 
Skype, FaceTime, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think that the same kind of thing is happening with YouTube and other types of social media where we're experiencing music and performances sitting in on our couch. And I think the ability to consume lots of information is amazing and wonderful. I think I we we hear young players come in just playing their butts off and it's just it's amazing it's inspiring. But to hear musicians the way we had to before this was going and experiencing that person and I think there's some elements that are still important to supplement with the online experience. So when you go out and you see the time jumpers, you're going to see people are going to hear you play to the room. They're going to hear you interact with the musicians and how that happens on stage. These are things that I don't think that you can experience just by looking at a screen. That's very true. That's very true. That's it's a mm-hmm. it's a one-dimensional sort of thing that yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. You're looking at even People are always going to show their best side. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're always going to show that. You know what I'm saying? So they're going to figure out ways to edit and whatever they can. I guess what I was saying about the footage is that when you get, when you get older stuff, live TV um, or whatever they take it from, it's oh, yeah. not corrected. But That's a great point. And then, and then yeah. thinking about what, you're, what you just said to me also is that there's – it's. It, um, I think that environment has to be. Um, you you can't just you can't just be a viewer from from a from a cell phone. Who you, you can be, but you're missing the whole. Mm-hmm. You're missing the whole thing. If you go and view a football game, and you go to a live football game, mm-hmm. and you understand the vastness of the crowd with you and you understand how important that competition is at the time and you get all the little nuances of being what they are mm-hmm. and you know that's that's just part of it and yeah. when we would go see something if you if you really think back about when your parents took you to something or mm-hmm. when, how you oh, yeah. took it all in that first trip to Disneyland you went oh my gosh this is sensory overload you know <laughs> right that's kind of like what I think being live is. When I would go to see Vinnie Caliuta play at the Baked Potato, wow. I'd feel like I was part of, of something special was going to happen. And he was, he, he, it blew my mind, you know, mm-hmm. night after night mm-hmm. after night of seeing that. Yeah. And just pinching myself going, I'm actually here, yeah. you know. Or I've had the chance to play the Eric Clapton Crossroads with Vince Gill, and then you go, there's 50 friggin' thousand people out there. How am I going to play to that? And the energy from that and my heart rate being way up and, play, and looking over and seeing heroes on each side of the stage. Right. That's another whole kind of thing. I, I you cannot, unless you're there, you yeah. can't really, yeah. you can do it. You can have a 360 camera, but it's not quite the same thing. Yeah. Know? I don't want to take away from the value that these things bring to the table. Absolutely. No, as, a, as, a, as an archiving yeah. library of stuff, it's, it, it's astounding. It's, it is amazing. I remember that video of Crossroads and on the side of the stage, um, was it Steve Jordan? <laughs> 
Yeah. And Steve Gadd. Luckily, I had no idea somebody, uh, the keyboard player, uh, John Hobbs, is, he has a lady friend who took that photo. It was a still photo, and it's them. And they're looking at me, and I don't believe it was the show. I think it was the uh, it was a rehearsal earlier, but they're on the they're in the wings, and all three of them, and Willie Weeks in the middle, who's my friend, and uh, yeah, and the three of them looking on. If I would have known that, folks, there would have been some laundry to do. I would have crapped my pants sooner <laughs> Wait, or later. Just, so Steve Gadd, Steve Jordan, and who was the third? Person? Uh, Steve Gadd, Steve and Willie Weeks, the bass player. Oh, okay, okay. okay. So it's the three of them, okay. and and I had no idea. <laughs> Of course, you know, I do have the photo going. I can't believe I made it through that, you know, because uh, and getting and knowing those people, I've I've gotten to to talk with Steve at mm-hmm. that particular mm-hmm. thing. I got to talk with him, most humble, down to earth cat there is, and more mm-hmm. one of the most musical drummers in the world to me. Steve Gadd, absolutely, yeah, yeah, and so is Steve Jordan. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about people who. They immerse themselves in styles of music, and they go, this is what I, I want to be known for this, and I, I want to help perpetuate this genre of music. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to give it, and they're honoring is what they're doing. They're honoring to me. Yeah. I listened to him. I, I mean, I went to hear him play with John Mayer last year, at the, and Jordan just killed it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And you go, I start thinking, wow. That was like I missed seeing James Brown, but that's about as close as I'm going to get mm-hmm. to to James Ban- or Brown's grooves and stuff. Yeah, yeah, he's really just breathes that stuff in. So, case in point, see Steve Jordan live or look at him on YouTube. Which would you rather do? <laughs> well, there again, I I think that just like you and I are doing right now, this is editable, and this is this is yeah. us showing. You know, whatever wisdom we can <laughs> impart, um, I think there's there the platform comes with with responsibility, and I yeah. think a lot of people um, have their 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 best face forward. You know, when they when they're on these sort of things. Yeah, I'm trying to choose my words right now. You know, I could be unfiltered and you know start cussing and all that kind of stuff. I'm doing <laughs> that can? because I think. Well, yeah. I know I can, yeah. but I'm not making any better point with that. I understand. I, get, I so. understand. My biggest thing from other people, and mm-hmm. the reason I get hired for what I do, is because mm-hmm. they say it feels yeah good. Yeah, they don't say I'm the best timekeeper. They don't say. I have the most chops. They don't. So in those areas, I'm not, I'm not, I see my, my strengths and my weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So for me to go, I have to go away from that going, the best feel. Okay. If the time moves and, and moves around and stuff, um, I can fix that. You know what I'm saying? I oh, can work yeah. at fixing that. Yeah. Everybody, we're all trying to, me at 65 years old, well, I will be 65 coming this year, are still thinking about technique, time, and feel. And that's when you teach, I'm sure that's, that's, that's huge parts of what you teach right there are, are those three things, you know. Yeah. To me, they're pillars. I'm just, and I'm just going by the common sense of having to teach myself. Yes. Going, why did Bonham playing stuff... Why did that move me so much? And that particular, those recordings, why did he kill us and still kills us today? It was because of the feel he had 
and he was ferocious with what he did. He's such for a rock music. He, he's such a great example for that because there's there's songs where the tempo changes. Yes, and, and same with Charlie Watts, but the feel is so. How would one? Because you because you mentioned you know time. I can work on that technique. I can work on that. So I'm, 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 are you going to this place where feel, is that more elusive? What, like what? Um, I think that people can get to where their, the, the, the other parts are pulling their train to where technique, they see Steve Gadd and they see him do something and it's totally, it talks to us as drummers, mm-hmm. you know, you hear him play some ridiculous thing or you hear Vinnie Caliuta. Mm-hmm. Those same guys, I believe, are working on or expected to play with Sting and keep two and four. Yeah. To serve his music. Yeah. And that's why he's working the way he works. That's why he's gone, come down and does Faith Hill or, the, you know, the, these people that, that touch us in so many ways and they play some, they, they cover everything and they're trying to make it feel good along with having the technique when called upon they have the technique to to show off and yeah. do not not show off to express themselves yeah. that's another thing i think about i want the technique enough to express myself the way the people that i love play i love their playing they're expressing themselves and they have the chops to do that mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, the time. And time is a tough thing because time is an interplay. Mm. You talked about, you know, drum corps. You talk about, um, mm. to me, time is a, is a group thing. Mm. And every, every, peop, uh, every, every band that I've worked with or, or background, every, everything where you've got an ensemble on stage is a team. Yeah. And you have, or in the session world, you have people that pull on you and push on you. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, they all turn around and you go, you're the timekeeper. <laughs> so they're looking at you. It's your, it's your responsibility. It's your fault. I, I agree and disagree with that. I think everybody as a musician needs to be aware of where they want to go. I don't care if if you're Keith Richards. I don't care if. And he would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. He would say Charlie Watts is 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 what happens between the two of them is totally a feel thing. Mm-hmm. I just saw them two years ago and yeah. I'm absolutely blown away. Men older than me, mm-hmm. still out there kicking butt, you know. Yeah. And I think that feel is a is a tremendous thing, and I think that's what. Vince Gill has been quoted. He said, he and I feel things very much alike. Yeah. And I don't know where that's coming from because I never played it, really played a train beat until I moved to Nashville. And he was one of the first people I I met when I moved here. Right, right. But I said, I'm going to try and play this. And I heard Keltner playing what I would consider an incredible train beat on some of that stuff. And I just went, oh, Okay, I can do this. In fact, I adopted a little bit of um, technique-wise. I had to adopt a way to make. Uh, I'm trying to think of what the metronome marking would be. Uh, if you had, all of us can play single strokes. All of us can play right, left, right, left, right, left, and you're playing, and you 
can get that together. But when you start getting down into greasy areas, mm-hmm. little feet, uh, uh, little village. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Vince Gill. He wants. I said, I'm going to start. I'm going to start playing three notes on my right hand mm-hmm. and one on my left hand because the tempo is so slow. I need to lock this in. And I got to, I got to do some early records uh, uh, when I was here. Uh, this was before McBride and the Ride. It was, it was Vince Gill, and, and I was trying to break in on the, the scene a little bit. I played on Marty Stewart's Hillbilly Rock. Yeah. And that was a... To pl- for me to play that, I can play that with single strokes, but this had a way that I could make it a little greasier. So it's it's right, right, left, right, 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 left, right, 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 left, one. It works for me. It's probably not technically the best thing. No, but I mean, you're so going back to feel, you're using technique and 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 tempo to create a feel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, it's it. It's so funny. I mean, the, a lot of the I mirror that experience as well trying to figure out at those at those tempos and it's understanding technique means that you can you understand sticking technique and how that influences the feel so much yes and at those tempos that you have to shift to go right left right left to make it or maybe sometimes i'll do you know if the, the right hand plays everything you know uh with the left hand you, you know almost like a like yeah. a regular rock groove, but then you don't want to flam. Do you pull that right hand? Do like a Charlie oh, Watts yeah, yeah, thing? Exactly right. So right, right. It also, I'm also hearing like a strong. It's so funny. Just when you do that on the table, it's like, yeah, I hear that in a lot of Vince Gill stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are, those are the songs he wrote. That's what he wanted. That's the grooves he wanted mm-hmm. in those songs. And I'll never forget. He he phoned me. And said, I'm going into the studio. I'm using Eddie Bears on this track. It was Liza Jane. Mm-hmm. And he said, what are you playing? How are you playing that? And I said, tell Eddie I'm playing exactly yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know whether Eddie, Eddie's got his own way of, of doing that. Yeah. But he yeah. just wanted, he wanted to know what the inside scoop was on that beat. I'll That's, never forget that, you know? Tell me about your first meeting with Vince. Uh, okay. I was I was here. We had we had moved here. I'd moved my family here. I had found a rental house in Green Hills, mm-hmm. and our furniture had not arrived yet. <laughs> I had the kids in a local elementary school. I'd plugged them into the system. You know, we found mm-hmm. what we felt was the best school mm-hmm. in Davidson County at that time, and uh, I had my codophone at back in Los Angeles. And I got a call from a producer that had been using me to do background vocals out in Los Angeles. That's yeah. what I was making pretty healthy living at that time doing background vocals besides doing drumming, you know? So this guy called me and he said, you know, I've got this uh, artist and I've been trying to get a hold of you. When I, when I answered, when I, got the, when I got the phone, he said, I've been trying to get a hold of you. Would you be able to do... Um, uh, an, an album. It's a custom album, and it's being done at a place called Emerald Studios. I didn't know where Music Row was. I didn't know anything about 
anything. Like most people that move here, yeah. you kind of do. I had done a couple exploratory things. I had a buddy that I knew two guys when I moved here. And so um, he said, would you go down and would you want to sing uh, backgrounds? And I said, sure, I'll go down and sing backgrounds. Yeah, I'm not doing really trying to learn the city as it was. Yeah. And he said, uh, there's going to be a, a lady on it and uh, a guy named Vince Gill is going to sing. And I, and I had heard uh, a record by Vince, a, 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 you know, a single called Cinderella at that time. And I went, really? Yeah, I'd like to meet this guy. I didn't know what he looked like, didn't know anything about him, didn't know. And and uh, so we got into Emerald Studios, met. The, the lady was there the first day and then they wanted just the two of us to sing together Mm -hmm. so that whole time we were on mics i'll never forget it uh for two days cracking jokes getting to know each other yeah and he's going man i like your voice i said well i love your voice you know it sounds great and he said your voice blends with mine he said do you play any musical instruments you know and i said yeah i play drums and he said hmm i'm looking for a drummer would you mind coming over and just just playing me a couple things that so i did i went over to his house Actually, I went, yeah, to his house at that time. And uh, I kind of auditioned by playing him a couple records that I'd been in. One was that Combo Nation band that I told you about in Los Angeles. Yeah. He said, yeah, this is cool. He said, "Uh, I think let's give this a try. And at that time, he wasn't doing much work at all. He was trying to keep bands together. But I realized the caliber of people he had going out with him that he – he was entrenched. He knew, yeah, that, that there was some stuff going on. You yeah, know? yeah. Uh, so I ended up kind of we we uh, we his his thing back then was to go down and uh, SIR was on Fifth Avenue downtown oh, okay. at that time. Okay, and uh, we'd rehearse one day that day, then we'd load up the bus. Then we go out and play on the bus. And I thought, well, this is really interesting. You know, I'd never been on a bus before. Yeah. I said, this is, this is a whole different way of doing it. Sort of cut down version, you know, a cheap way of doing it. Um, and I, I said, I'm going to grow it. This is really cool. This is a cool thing, a, di- a different way of doing it. I had to put away, oh, I only fly. I had to put away all that stuff. I had to put away. Um, it, it was more organic. And it was him, and he was so stinking talented. I knew it. I could just see it coming through him when he when he sang. When he and then I, the guy played his butt off on guitar. That didn't really come through on the records that I had heard before. I didn't know. I didn't even know he played guitar. So mm-hmm. I thought. And then I realized that was his song. He told me that was his song that he. That, and I thought, well, he's a songwriter too. Yeah. So triple fours. Yeah. Those things are hard to find in players. To yeah, me, yeah. they were in Los Angeles and they were in Florida. My past experiences, I heard them on record, but I'd never been with anybody like that. Mm-hmm. So we started playing and uh, I, it, it, it just clicked. It was really fun. I really had a great time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and some of the musicians that came through were just in, incredible. I met some great musicians. Then I got the opportunity to I played on Emmy Lou Harris record and I got the opportunity to go out and play with her. So I said, Vince, I can't do this. And he said, Man, I'm not working enough right now to 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 keep you around, you know. So I went out and worked with her for about a year and a half and learned about that. She was like 
a fountain of country music, traditional country music. Yeah. She said, so who do you listen to since you've been here? And I said, well, I've got a Ricky Skaggs record, and I know about this guy named Merle Haggard, and I've been playing with Vince Gill. She goes, well, if you like Merle Haggard, why don't you check out Lefty Frizzell? That's where he got all his stuff from. Mm-hmm. And then she started turning me on to these people. If you love bluegrass, here's another thing. If mm-hmm. you, And I was just kind of learning, you know, but she was great. She was like my big sister who just mm-hmm. said, come check this out. And I'll never forget playing a show with her and her going, uh, after our sound check, Yeah. Uh, she said, let's go over to this tent. And we were the headliners. We were playing them, you know, the arena so to speak, the uh-huh. rodeo arena or whatever it was at a, at a state fair. She said, come check this out. And we went over to a tent and the tent may have had 300 people standing in it, you know? Yeah. Friggin' Merle Haggard with his band. I guess there was probably, I'm no exaggeration, probably 13 to 15 people on stage. And I'll never forget Biff was playing drums, his drummer. And me going, this is a legend, and he's doing a tent. He's playing the tent here. I had seen that before. I'd seen, I'd been playing in a main showroom in, in Tahoe and seen Billy Preston play the little showroom that seated 250 people. Billy Preston, wow. Tower of Power. Yeah. These people. And so I knew about acts, and it was just kind of hitting me, the the waning part of popularity and how the shelf life of people Mm. the people who truly love music supersedes business Mm. we're still doing it Mm -hmm. they're still out there doing it and the more the older i get there the more i realize i have goals for myself i want to tour to a certain age till a certain age but i'm here for the music and it makes me Boy, I'm jumping around, Arner. It no, makes it's me, fine. It makes yeah. me see uh, how important the music that I loved when I first started this thing, mm-hmm. how through a child's eyes I can still see that and still see. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think people pick up on that energy when I'm on stage. I, I love that. Do you think that making good music a priority and good musicians and good people to be around a priority is essential for a sustainable career? Yes, totally. Whatever the energy is within the Rolling Stones and the reason they're doing it, I have to believe that if you're a millionaire, like most of those people are, there's got to be a bigger pull. There's mm-hmm. got to be, hey, let's, let's, let's make this happen. Let's, let's go out. And physically, we may not be in mm-hmm. uh, to endure at, like we did, but we're going to go out and do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Vince is playing with the Eagles right now. Those guys are out there. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're, they're doing it. And they're, they're finding a way to go back and revisit those songs. And it's a great portrayal of those songs. And I think Vince is a wonderful asset to that band, you know? I really do. I heard them and vocally and guitar playing, well, everything, you know? And they're, they're still finding a way to bring it around. It's not all about money. It's not that, but you know, it's but in both those examples, the Eagles and the Stones, there's some dynamic personalities that notorious, you know, absolutely. whether it's whether it's Mick or you know, it's, it, yes, 
so there there is something that I I agree with you a hundred percent because I mean a lot of these I can't imagine them having to do this anymore. No, you know, uh-uh. there's but, that option. You know, you yeah. you're, you've you've provided for your family and your grandkids. Maybe Come you know, on. Yeah, you know, for sure. so it's about people. And and this this I still see in Vince Gill is that he is he's a music. It's it's coming through him. And he would have to find an outlet for it. Preserving yourself, to me physically, especially with the physical instrument that we play, yeah. is really important. Mm-hmm. I think it's it makes us more... I know when I... I'm into riding bike now. I ride a bike. I rode this morning before I came over here. Nice. And um, I think it's important, whatever challenge you, challenges you, mm-hmm. I think you can't get all that same thing by just sitting on a pad and watching TV during the day. You'll keep your chops up, but I think you really have to have your, your, your blood going. You have to move it. Your, your body responds to that. And when I do that, my tests as a road musician come a lot easier. I'm able to deal with a lot of things on the road. Bad food, bad sleep, uh, bus, riding a bus. You're with other people. You, you know, there's people playing music at night. You know, I sleep deeper and better. Yeah. You know, I still, I still have my struggles out there, yeah. you know? Yeah. And there's always going to be, well, all we have is Burger King or McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? There's all of that. And... You, you 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 grow up and you go, this is what I have to do. This is what I want to do for myself, make myself happier to make sure I can get on stage and do the same thing again as professional as possible. Drummers are so often the most physically fit member of the band. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. And it comes, like I say, it comes along with, with our job description. But not everybody... I know I've got a couple of friends who are, who are not in the best of health and a couple who have passed already because they didn't take care of themselves. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. So uh, there's, there's the physical element of playing, but there's also the responsibility to be, like you were saying, aside from just performing on the drums, to have yourself in shape to then get through the day, get through the travels, and then be on point when you're behind the kid, mm-hmm. even if the gig itself isn't physically demanding, but just to have just a physical presence so that you're there's mental clarity to keep good time to feel and all those yeah. things. Yeah, I'm Shoot. with you. I'm with you. I'm still I'm still struggling with tuning. I need to, I'm, tuning drums has always been you've got a cylinder, you've got two membranes on that cylinder, and just the idea of getting that. I've been, I've talked to my son about that. You know, who's a drummer also, my oldest oh, yeah. son. Yeah, just talked to him about it. Going, I'm learning. This is really cool. And I just yeah, got this this yeah. drum set. It's an old Slingerland drum set, and I'm using it with the time jumpers, and it just sings when it's in tune. Yeah, it sings. And yeah. uh, and it takes me a while. I'm learning. I'm growing with it. You know. So don't oh. I, can't, I can't I can't roadie for anybody right now. That's okay. I'm sure, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, I want to do a quick plug. There, there's a there. We're going to do a roundtable with a with a, a group called that has a a YouTube channel called Sounds Like a Drum. These guys are amazing. Their presentation and the production of these videos are they do a really wonderful job showing how to tune drums these hmm. guys are technicians and and i would 
I would dare say, artists in the way they present this and different types of snare drums, different types of drums, um, but sounds like a drum, maybe .com uh, or just do that. Yeah, okay. I'm excited for, to do that. I'll check that out. It's really fun to watch. Um, during your time with with Thinscale Touring, so uh, I maybe 10 years ago, uh, I was working with a group at Copper Mountain, Colorado. We used to do the the country... Copper Country Festival. Series or something. Yeah, 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 and you guys were on that. Michael Rhodes was playing with you. Okay, yeah, yeah, Vince's yeah. Vince's daughter was singing backup. Amy was out on the road with you. You guys were the backup band. Okay. Oh, uh, Del McCurry band was... They opened? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You guys would play. They would play. You guys would play. Then they would play again. And it was... It was we just... It was so fun. Uh, uh, Sweet. Watching you. you. I think you had a piccolo, maybe a wood hoop piccolo. Yeah, 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 and and I still have those drums. Okay, uh, it's, a, it's a, a fellow named Don Kenner that that made me a couple sets when I was back in McBride and the Ride, and I kind of augmented. I put some Yamaha wooden hoops on yeah. one of his Cardinal yeah. uh, piccolos that he gave me, and it's they're great drums. Yeah, so. it, it it was. It, we just love those gigs. We we saw so much talent and cool. watching you guys perform. And knowing a lot of Vince's songs and having played Vince's songs in other bands, I'm, it just makes me curious, how does that work with him on the road? Not the Time Jumpers, but with Vince's band, did you guys have a set list? Was it? Oh, yeah. Oh, there's, there's a set list, but he, he uh, when he turns around and goes, he'll read something in the audience and he wants to change it up. So... I'll have metronome settings, and I'll put all those settings in my thing, but but I know his set well enough now. If he right. turns around and goes, I want this, and which he'll often do, yeah. uh, I can I can take my, I use a rhythm watch, Tamar rhythm watch, and I use the wheel and go find it, mm-hmm. click it off, yeah, and I, I start it, yeah. and then I, I don't use it. I mean, I just use it to start the song, just to make sure that, Whatever the metronome setting is that he will feel comfortable with, mm-hmm. it it may uh, change. It that groove may fall a little bit or go up a little bit, mm-hmm. but at least I'm consistent at where I count stuff. Right, you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I don't play to a click. He doesn't want. He doesn't want that. He wants the organic deal. Yeah, just like he doesn't use ear monitors. Everybody plays through wedges. Still, he's okay. one of the last. Real holdouts of that. And if you, I mean, does he want everybody to play in what, with wedges? Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. He'd like it. I don't think, I don't think he would be opposed to some of the other players. Other, other than him calling audibles on stage and a person not being able to hear what yeah. he's saying. Yeah. That would not be a cool thing. Yeah. So, so we all choose not to do it. And you know what? It can really be done. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you really hear people. You get a really good monitor mixer that mixes wedges. And it's it's uh, it's yeah. not as bad of, of an environment as you think. No, no. Even as environments change night to night, stages change, rooms change, all that stuff. If the, if the guy is really good at his job on right. monitors, old school can still work. You yeah. know, yeah. it's not as consistent. I've, I've been in bands with, with uh, ear monitors before and everything sounds like, it did. It's really consistent that way. Yeah. 
Yeah. So no, it, it is interesting. I, mean, I find I use in ears a lot, yeah. but I have to pop them out if we're playing in a situation where there is no set or mm-hmm. they're calling out tunes. Yeah, I absolutely. have to stand up and I have to, you know, try and catch it. And sometimes the, I mean, now they're they're putting talkbacks up on stage so people yeah. can turn. But then sometimes it sits there and no one uses it, and then they're just. And then if if you have to start or count off the song or find it you know, on whatever metronome you're using, that's just more time that it takes. It's just, it's, it's an interesting thing that, that we're yes. dealing with. Yes, it is. Um, and he, he doesn't like a whole lot of space. Sometimes he doesn't, he doesn't feel like talking, you know, he may go two or three songs, mm-hmm. but then he'll introduce a song and we'll count it and go from there. And, yeah. and uh, he's pretty, can be really spontaneous if he, if he feels in the moment. Uh, we used to play a song called Ain't Nothing Like a Woman, and it would go on for 10 minutes. <laughs> so he loves, he can jam. And we used to, they used to call him, the crew used to call him Grateful Gill because our, <laughs> our sound checks would go on for two hours. It was really notorious. Wow. And then we'd get up and then we'd play. So he loves to play. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. So th- th- that kind of person is you, you want to be around because there's that much music coming through them. Even when you don't feel like playing, you, you push yourself through it, you know? Yeah. So, and it makes you a better player. I know exactly. That's great. I love that. I want to make a couple other points too. While I was, you, you can edit this if you want to, but uh, one is your personality. Mm-hmm. Not only on stage, but your personality. When Mine? No. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yours personally. Yeah. Uh, well, I just think, I think that's another thing towards professionalism. The people that I see that are still out there have, I'm not going to say they don't have strong personalities. What they do is they're, they're sensitive to being part of a team. The egos are not completely checked. Mm-hmm. But they are, they're sure of themselves. Yeah. But they are, there's, there's a willingness to make it the sum of everything, to make it, um, and, and I think that goes with maturity. Yeah. It's like people um, going, okay, we can, we're going to get through this. And they're, they're, there's a positive attitude toward, toward being a part of a team. And I think that just kind of goes along with being any kind of team. And the mm-hmm. older you get, it's it it's it's almost more energy, not in a good way, to be a bitch, to be uh, a person going. I don't like the beds on this bus. I don't like uh, you know. I don't like this crew meal. It's because not only are you you're making a statement, but you're bringing the people around you down. It's a family. Mm-hmm. It is truly a family out there. You live. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about as a touring musician. You know, now I'm not really talking about because to me sessions are so brief mm-hmm. that they can be brought down. There yes. can be personalities who can take them down, as you well know. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But yeah. I think when you're spending, let's say, 15, 18 hours a day with people, and you're riding on a bus, and then you get up and then you work with those same people. Mm-hmm that it's important. It's, oh, yeah. it's important to have somewhat of a good positive attitude about what you're doing, you know, yeah. no matter what the personalities are like. So, And I, I seem to remember reading about Vince mentioning that about you. 
I think that's, I think it's, uh, important. I really do think it's important. And I think that, um, if you have something to say, find, find a way to say it and then pick your battles. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Out there, Mm -hmm. pick your battles. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's not always going to be easy. And the people that you work with are sometimes force you into stuff that are, that, that may not be the easiest night. Yeah. But then you have to get on the bus with those people and ride, and you got to figure out a way to talk with them about it and bring it out in the open. It's just like, kind of like a family. Yeah. So I also find that even if if it's you're just there briefly, maybe you're filling in, you have an opportunity to show that confidence and yet team player mentality. Yes. That goes a long way to someone saying, "Oh, you know what? Good player, prepared." easy to get along with, uh, was able to hang with the sarcastic jokes. <laughs> right. So I'm going to keep this person in mind. Exactly right. You That's know. right. They could have hired Buddy Rich. We all know about Buddy Rich, <laughs> but they hired yeah. somebody else, and that person happened to be right. made it much easier to get from point A to point B. Yeah. Stepping on the bus to stepping off the bus, airplane, whatever you want to talk about, yeah. you know? Then so. there's lots of smiles on, on stage and that energy yeah. translates yeah. to the audience. Yep. Very much so. Tell us about, I know the time jumpers, but tell us about the time jumpers for maybe someone that doesn't know. Okay. Uh, new to me, total new experience. Uh, I was a fan. I went to hear... Vince and Paul Franklin play mm-hmm. with the Time Jumpers, and there there was a a vocalist, and I knew quite a few of the people. I didn't know a couple of them, but um, a vocalist named Dawn Sears, who is in Vince's band, and mm-hmm. she was a background vocalist. And I heard her and another lady sing uh, different incarnations of the band. I heard right. from over time, but I was always intrigued by the musicality of having sections arranged to play swing music. And I mean, some people call what, what, what this band portrays, Bob Wills was one of the biggest people involved at what we're trying to pattern ourselves after. Mm-hmm. There are three fiddles, yeah, three guitar players, including uh, uh, Ranger Doug Green, Vince Gill, and Andy Reese. They're all completely different kinds of guitar players. And then you have Paul Franklin, who is a monster on pedal steel. Yeah. Uh, a guy named Brad Albin plays upright bass with us. Wonderful player. Great walking bass player. Um, uh, I said Ranger Doug Green, I think. Uh, an, a true musician, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Here you go. Senility. <laughs> Jeff Taylor, my buddy, one of my close buddies out there. Can't remember. Of course, can't remember his name. Uh, <laughs> And uh, and he's great. He's great. He plays accordion and keyboards. So you've got it's a it's a band of nine people. There used to be ten. Dawn passed away. Yeah. She sang, and uh, my memories of 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 my what I had to do when I was asked to be a member six years ago was to just go okay. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to woodshed a bunch here. You're anticipating all my. You're anticipating all my questions. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to woodshed here because this is this is truly uh, not my wheelhouse. This is not 
I love swing music, don't get me wrong, but I've never played it. I've never really played it. I remember hearing people play it and going, I hope someday to go to to try and bring mm-hmm. that into my soul and portray, act like I'm mm-hmm. a, a big band swinger or something. Anyways, this was the chance. This was the chance to go in after it. And uh, I'll never forget one of the guitar players turning to me and goes, hey, feather the bass drum. <laughs> and I went, okay, well, what does feathering mean? You know? Yeah. And he said, you play it really softly. It's mm-hmm. supposed to be, it's supposed to be totally felt, not hurt. Mm-hmm. And so, and the, the DB level, we're playing a little tiny place that seated, couldn't seat 75 people called the Station Inn. And that's the band. I, I went to hear them. Everybody was acoustic. There was, I want to say, maybe a monitor for one of the lead vocalists. Uh, no, no monitor for bass, drums, no, no, nothing in the back. Really mm-hmm. small stage. So everything was down low enough to where you heard everybody. Mm-hmm. And it was really an adjustment. But I really dug it. It was so different than playing with Vince and you've got big wedges coming at you and you've got DB levels way up on that stage, you know, yeah. obviously. Yeah. This was a total different extension. And he dug it too. I knew he really liked it because yeah. you turn down, everybody hears each other, you mix each other. Yeah. It's coming through the vocal mics. Yeah. Nothing is really mic'd as much as it was. Upright bass, obviously. Uh, snare, hi-hat. There was a mic on the bass drum, but it was never in the PA. So, <laughs> mm, wow, it's crazy. It's crazy soft, and we're still somewhat holding to that philosophy today. We're playing a bigger club now, so we have a lot more stuff mic'd. Yeah, but the house mixer is totally aware of what we want to come off as a band. Yeah, and he's into it. He yeah. likes it. So yeah. that's what we do. So talk about playing to the room. It's brushes, so yeah. and it's nine people. So right. when I play, but um, you and you guys are tr- uh, what I'm saying is I know you're in a different room, a third lens lead. Yes, exactly. Okay. So but that, you're this, also playing different places. Yeah, when, when we you, go out and play different theaters and stuff, we all prefer in this band to be you. You move everybody in instead of moving out and having more real estate and more where it looks good. We're not. We're this is not that band. Yeah. It's about hearing each other and doing away with monitors, mm-hmm. making us mix ourselves more. Yeah. It's kind of an old philosophy. You know, you think about the the records that were made as big bands, they they from what I th- I think they came from like recording symphonies where you had you've got a mic and it's over the the, the string section. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Or multiple mics over the string section, two over the violins and two over the violas, that kind of what I'm saying. And then brass the same way. You pick out these sections and then a guy mixes those sections. Yeah. We're doing this uh, as sections. It's it's a really beautiful thing. Now, uh, when we go out and play, the fiddle players all have individual mics so they can mix themselves. It's a soft instrument so they can try and be heard over the acoustic guitars when they need to be. Yeah. Acoustic guitar over the guitar section. Oh, okay, yeah. Sorry, and over and I'm mixing myself, and I can only play so loud with brushes. Yeah. Truthfully, and I you're mean, playing almost or all brushes, all brushes, all, brushes. all night long. Yeah. There's there's one song that I play sticks on. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so to me, that's a total other extension of me as a, as a drummer, just as a percussionist. First of all, I, went, I said, I've got to study my butt off. So I went with Ed Thigpen's book and I, I learned, I went to get into it for the first couple pages. I'm still a total lazy baby at that, you know, when mm. it comes down to it. I really want to learn more, but I'm, I've, I've adapted my sort of bastardized style. I'm a lefty and I grew up right. playing right-handed drums. All I ever saw was Ringo, Sandy Nelson, the guy for the Ventures, um, name just, I thought drums were only played right-handed. Yeah. So that's the way I grew up playing. My approach to this particular sound that this band is making, we're not the rough and ready side of and raucous side of of uh, Western swing music. Bob Wills and Spade Cooley were were big bands, but the drummer was more of of uh, I don't want to say vaudeville. I want to say those guys kept incredible time. But as for being sophisticated, we're going for a little bit more of a sophisticated cosmopolitan. Mm. swing music country yeah. swing music so that so things really are in sections they're worked out and they're lush sounding as yeah. opposed to being sort of i don't want to say crude because they but on the 40s records that you hear they they have a a certain um you know how you can listen to spike jones or you could listen to uh those those recordings to me were kind of brittle, and the brass sections were brittle, and and, and unless they got sexy, where they used, mm-hmm. uh, 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 oh, what do you call them, plunger things on their, you like know, they muted mute. their mute yeah, yeah. for their stuff. Um, it's just the colors that they had going on. Right. So my thing was to approach it with brushes because I knew as a rock player I'd be tempted to play harder than I should Mm. and it wouldn't work and I really wanted it to work when I was asked I said okay I'm going to do this I'm going to learn this and I'm going to try and learn my best way to do it and I've had to learn some some odd sort of stickings to to make it work Mm. because I can't play a ride pattern uh, let's say um, for three minutes at, at let's say 120 for a half note that kind of thing oh that's that to me is quick. It's quick and it's hard to make it swing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I slow stuff down and I go, okay, where's my peak at what I can make swing? What can I really make to what I think is swinging? What's yeah. going to make the people around me swing? Not just of that? playing the part, playing Not the just temp- playing that. Yeah, make it swing, it swing it, swing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's part of what I did, and I can I can achieve that with brushes. I have people mm-hmm. come up and go. Man, you're killing me with your brush part. And I'm going, well, tell you the truth, I'm a, I'm a baby at this. And I really I appreciate you saying that, but I'm truly a baby. But, but not at feel, not at experience, not, not, at, not play. at feel. And but so it, applying those things with the years of experience to something new. Yeah. But drumming and music is not new. No. So it's, it's, it's a different palette. 
to paint on is what it really is. You know, yeah. truthfully, I'm looking down at my snare drum. I changed my head. I'm using I'm using a an Evans etched right now, a really thin batter head. Mm-hmm. The drums are set up differently. They're all thin batter heads. They're all real resonant. Um, and it's a whole other approach to it. Mm-hmm. High tuning. I don't use high tuning with rock stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't do that. Yeah. This is all high tuned and it's cool. I have to make sounds come out of toms yeah. and the kick drum. And the kick drum, I immediately said, I'm going to adapt. I'm going to make, um, I'm going to use a lamb's bull beater. Mm-hmm. And it allowed me to feather. Right. And the I realized that the upright bass was the was the the dominating pulse. Yeah. And that I was adding a percussive edge to that upright bass. Um, also, my cymbal selection changed completely. All small cymbals, except for my ride cymbal, yeah. which I only use once in a while. Right now, I'm using a 14-inch splash and a 10-inch splash is what I use. Wow. Really quick statements. They go away really quickly. Yeah. For those of you who know what splash cymbals are, that's the purpose of the splash cymbals. And I just had, had multiple drummers come up and go, why are they all bent up? They're all bent. And I said, well, because I've been playing them for years. I'm not breaking them, but they're bending because they're so thin. Oh, wow. And I'm using, I found out um, I'm a Sabian endorser, and uh, I called up and talked to a, a jazz guy there, an artist rep, who, who said, uh, I said, give me your best pair of jazz, something I can use that's going to make, make that Give me those characteristics. He sent me this beautiful pair of hi hats, and so that's my barrage symbol wise. That's my colors. Yeah, I'll make I'll make, uh, and it it kind of puts me in more the forties through sixties sound that mm-hmm. I really enjoy mm-hmm. for this band. Yeah, and that's the way we recorded. I did the last record. We recorded that way, and and I loved them. I think they're they're really cool. In the last record, there was kind of a more unique setup in, in a modern sense. Yeah. So t- can you tell me a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah. Well, uh, the, the setup was we recorded at Vince Gill's house. He has a, a beautiful studio mm-hmm. attached to his house, and we opted to do there. And uh, it's an open room with the control room there within the open room. Yeah. So the engineer's sitting there. Um, he has ISO cabinets for baffles that they put. Quite a bit of the guitars are all baffled off. The, the speaker cabinets are all in those baffled. The upright bass is open with a little bit of a, a partial baffle around it. I'm baffled, mm-hmm. but nothing above us at all. It's an open room. Yeah. So everything's leaking into everything else. Yeah. Um, the acoustic piano is out in a hallway a ways away. There's an electric piano. The accordion player was direct. Um, the vocalists were in an ISO booth and, and a, another. But everybody went down at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it was 25 takes of things a lot of times. You know okay. what I'm saying? It was, it, was a, it was a thing of patience because you're waiting on the fiddles as a trio to like uh, something that they may have wanted. So truthfully, it, it was patience. It's a lot of, of, of a, to me, a grind to make sure that you get the best performance from everybody. Yeah. And I think that there's, 
um, you can, you can dig too deep at that just like you can anything else. But I think that, that there is a payoff and organic way that the music comes off on those recordings that was done back way back when and right. it sort of fits where this band's coming from. Yeah. You've got, uh, nine or 10 people all recording. Some of the stuff can be replaced. You try and get, you try and get the basic tracks. Obviously the rhythm section has to be there. Mm-hmm. And then you try and get, you try and keep, you get as much keepable as you can. And then you go back with the, with the, I don't want to say, that's not a good, I was going to say superfluous instruments, but they're all important. Right. Yeah, I understand. Uh, so you try and get those repaired afterwards, mm-hmm. like you do vocals or something right, like right, that. Right. But no, no click. No, uh-uh, no. Yeah. Uh, I would, I would turn the click on and then make sure that the tempo was right there and then turn it off and then, and then we'd go. Yeah. Count it in and go. Yeah. So you weren't so taking... So it separates, it, it really <laughs> it separates everybody. You just hang on and you've got all these people and to me, different, uh, different people having different influences and pulling and pushing. And everybody's trying to go for the same thing. Yeah. But everybody's not, not the same animal. dad got me an upright piano when I was in my early teens and uh, I started I started just trying to just trying to write stuff and a long for a long time it was it was uh, a, just just composing music any kind of music thing then he said hey I've got a couple of these I've written a couple of poems here would you try and play to these poems and I did I picked it up and I started writing what I thought Mm-hmm. was the way these things would would sound and they were I ended up liking them so I kept doing it I was tr- intrigued by that yeah. and at the same time I was taking a music theory class a half year of music theory in high school and I was trying to apply some of these uh, some of the basic stuff of, mu- of of music theory trying to learn why chords make me feel the way they do and right. what it takes to make to change a chord you mm-hmm. know how you can hold the same triad and then change the bass note to that triad mm-hmm. makes totally different. You know, all the these are, but enough for a, for a drummer like myself to take on. And I I I didn't follow it as heavily as I could. There was a point where I thought, uh, I think I may want to go try some school in New York City. Go try mm-hmm. whatever Juilliard, New York, Manhattan. What is the School of Jazz or whatever it's called? Uh, yeah. Uh, anyways, I thought, I think I want to try this. And then something was, I was too intimidated when it came down to it. I remember going, it's, it's going to be too much. I won't be able to perform and, and my fragile ego. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. So, so I just didn't take it on. And then, uh, you know, I guess five, six years later, I was married and moved to Los Angeles trying to jump into that. So. Right. Everybody's path is unique, yeah, man. But I guess, you know what? I've found that each of them adds to one another. And I guess what your original question was, what would I consider myself? I would say probably more of a singing drummer than a drumming singer. Because when I get around drummers and we talk drums all the time, even mm-hmm. though I know this is a working drummer podcast, um, I'm not as in tune with, hey, man, I can, you know, they talk about something that Ringo played or something that, that mm-hmm. Jim Keltner played or, or uh, 
whatever. What and and they say these are signature licks that they have, and I go, I kind of glossed over those on the re- on the recordings, mm-hmm. and I couldn't tell you exactly verbally what those mm-hmm. what those were. Mm-hmm. They were part of the whole to me. Mm-hmm. Ringo's part, um, his fill, and I want to hold your hand, or his, mm-hmm. you know was not as important as hearing the harmonies that mm. McCann- McCartney and Lennon did. Mm-hmm. I'm I want to say they're not as important. I'm just saying they yeah. were just, I just looked at, the, I was so looking at the big picture at that yeah. point Yeah. that, um, yeah, the drums were there. They were propelling. They, they made me excited, yeah. but I yeah. didn't know why I was excited. I, mm-hmm. I remember that, that feeling of, this is awesome. This is great. I think it's important to understand. I mean, there's all different shades of, there's the drummer's drummer. There's, you know, all from one extreme, like the, the, the drummer that we know that has made a career out of drum composition and, and, and touring, doing nothing but clinics to the person that is, you know, it, it, almost more like what you're describing yourself as, mm-hmm. and all those are important in this in the landscape of creating music and in, in the community that we have. Um, this the, this platform here is is I, I am excited to think of it as an opportunity for the young drummer who is obsessed with everything that Modern Drummer and Drum Magazine has to tell them to say, "Hey, look." get out of those for a minute and listen to those harmonies that Lennon and McCartney are doing. Absolutely. And, and listen to this brilliant part that is important to the song and how you as a potentially, as a potential working drummer can contribute to that and make yourself more valuable to a producer, to a band member, to other things like that. These things are super important. Uh, <laughs> they really are, and they're overlooked. Yeah, a lot of times, to me, they were the path of least resistance for me. Not being a really chopsy player or having those facilities, yeah, to find a way to make myself uh, an asset to the community that will hire or not hire me. And I think that those are important things to. I'm going to go out on a limb and say these are important things because I feel like we're, that we're, there's so much online for us to see and hear that seems so overwhelming and intimidating. And those things are so great, but um, it depends on what you want to do with your instrument. And there's no right or wrong with this, but if you do want to work and work with different people, having an understanding of theory and your and the role and the supporting role that you can bring to the to the uh, session or the the show is that makes you hire. It's as primitive to me. I can communicate things that if I was if I was only a drummer with a drummer's perception, mm. I couldn't communicate about those things. Mm. For example, like talking, uh, I can talk intervals. Mm-hmm. With players, mm-hmm. which helps me talk number charts here in Nashville. Everything's off of intervals, the number system. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps me to talk harmony parts. It helps me talk bigger things than just uh, what do you want, Pat Boone, Debbie Boone, 
in this <laughs> turnaround fill. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that has, for those working drummers out there, truthfully, I think it's added to my, uh, what I bring mm-hmm. to those who hire me. Yeah. It has given me a leg up in auditions over other drummers because I sang. Mm-hmm. Simple, especially if 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 a if an artist is trying to get off the ground and they're going, man, not only we not only does the guy play drums, but he can sing a harmony part with me while we're doing this. It, there's not that many people going after that. There's more now. It seems like mm. that are that are learning the skill of drumming at the same time as playing. Yeah. You know, seems like there is. Mm. I see more and more uh, singing and playing, singing and playing. Yeah. yeah, and I think it, it's 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 adding to the musicality, yeah, of a, of a percussionist. Yeah, yeah. You know, not everybody makes it to the pit, and 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 learns has to learn melodic instruments. Right. So right. you got a voice. Everybody has a voice. Hey man, grab an acoustic guitar. It's exactly right. Throw yeah. it in your living room. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about what's coming up with you. Uh, I know we're arranging this uh, interview because you've getting ready to go on the road here. Yeah, yeah. We have a condensed amount of work with Vince Gill. He's decided this year, because he's been uh, working the majority of the year with the Eagles, he's decided to keep his band uh, working on some down, on on his, his downtime between Eagles dates. We're going out and we're going to leave, uh, I believe it's August 1st. We have three days of rehearsal. And uh, one of those being vocals and I'll help in that regard, oh, you know, awesome. and then another two days of band and uh, we're going to go out and do 15 dates and about, uh, 19 days. <laughs> I think it's so 13 what it days. Is, yeah. You're right. So <laughs> we've got, we've got five days on and, uh, about, I get 36 to 48 hours off back okay. here in Nashville. Another five days on. These are night after night. Yeah. Bus. And not not too far drives, nothing over you know three hundred and fifty miles or something like that, but enough. Yeah, and uh, and that's the way he's choosing to do it. He's going to go out and do. So we're doing fifteen dates in in, in August. Hopefully, we'll be with you folks and uh, on the. I think we're doing mainly Midwest and East Coast sort of stuff in August, and then the same in November. We're doing fifteen more dates in November. Okay, and those are a little bit more southern than. Than northern, hopefully in November. <laughs> yeah, you know. So he's he's. Uh, I think he feels a real. He feels like it's really important to keep a road band together at this point. Yeah, because these are players that he's handpicked, and he enjoys the way they interact with him. He enjoys the way they interact on stage with him, and off stage with him. It's yeah. a family. Sure. And when you get out there and tour like that. You gotta have like-minded people. You are not like-minded, but 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 people who are sensitive enough to go. Okay, I can give you some space here, yeah, right, exactly. you know that kind of thing. Or right, right. So, what's what's going on with the time jumpers? Time jumpers are playing every Monday night. Yeah, um, we've we've put some. Uh, we haven't stopped. Uh, we we have a guest artist or something come in and sometimes and and take. Vince's place, you know, uh-huh. and play. We just had Robin Ford. Oh my gosh! Two nights ago, yeah, come in and and uh, fill in. 
Robin Frigg and Ford. I was going, I couldn't believe it. It was, it was a wonderful thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and he did great. He had done his homework and he really wanted to be a part of it. And he was, he's a pro, you know? So he got in there and he he was great. And we've had, uh, we've had a guy named Charlie Worsham come in and a guy named Chris Scruggs, who's Mm kind of in the, the, the local scene here Mm -hmm. plays with Marty Stewart. Great, great, really good fit. Um, and so, it's, and Rodney Crowell, we've had some, some guests that have come in, mm-hmm. but we can also, as a band, we have enough, enough vocalists to, to cover when Vince is not there. We, we can sure, pull, sure. pull together enough. And still, the people come in going, oh, we came in here to see Vince Gill, and then they, <laughs> they leave going, wow, yeah, these guys are solid. This is a cool, it's a cool band. Yeah. So. Always a great show, man. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, I feel like we we give it our best shot. You know what I'm yeah. saying. And since then, there's been a couple other bands that have, that have taken on the Western Swing thing, not to the same degree that that we have. Um, and and I say this, they're more um, to to portray. I think uh, to be really authentic to Bob to Bob Wills and some of those other people, you'd have to be more. I would I would have been playing sticks through the night mm. and playing a lot of two beats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, uh, more like, uh, asleep at the wheel, more like a, more okay. like a Western, mm-hmm. they're, they're Western swing people. We're not the same animal as asleep at the wheel, but yeah, I think we're just as viable. And I think actually in some ways in Nashville, a little bit more palatable because we're not so strong into the Texas roots. We're, we're a little bit more. I've heard people say a cosmopolitan <laughs> is what they've described as that, which I love. I love that idea because I love Count Basie. I love the big bands oh, yeah, that came yeah, before us. Sure. And I can, I can And I do think that, that we all do. So when you do yeah, that, it yeah. resonates. So one last question. Do you guys play in Texas? Yes, we yeah? do. And yeah. what's your, what's, how does, how does that go over? It goes over great because yeah. what it is, I mean, first of all, they recognize almost all the songs. Sure. And secondly, because it's a little twist, they can get Western swing music down in Texas. Yeah. They can certainly, they still dance, they still two step, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. But this is just a, it's a different take on it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah, I can't, I can try and describe it, but I, um, it's, it's a, it's a, a, a different take. And it was long, it was there long before I ever was a part of the band. Yeah. And I guess that's what drew me to it is like a, coming back to it, a, a section thing, you know, and the way things. In fact, it it I had a song that's as old as the band that I sing every Monday night, mm-hmm. and I turned it into a publisher. I had a writing deal back then. I turned it into a publisher, and they said, "Great, this is wonderful." Of course, it never got cut. Nobody wanted the song because it's kind of unique. Mm-hmm. It's a blues song. Well, it worked out perfect for the band, so I oh, sing this okay. song. Yeah. And I was able to compose this fiddle part that's kind of hooky. I did it on my iPad in GarageBand. I wrote, yes. this, wrote this fiddle part, and I played it to the fiddles, and they said, this is really cool. We're going we're gonna to change this and move it, uh, the, the, the sequence of it back and forth. It's a four-bar phrase that uh-huh. happens. And, and everybody takes the shit out of it because it's so... Uh, I don't want to say it's kind of like period. It makes everybody takes you away. It's called Blue Highway Blue. Yeah. And it's about, it kind of, everybody said it reminds me of the coast of California, Route 66, or uh-huh. it's, it's 
escapism and it's and it's done really tastefully so that's awesome yeah and you're able to perform that and and it's on it's on it's, yeah. is it on one of the records it's the latest one called kid sister which in 2016 was that when yeah, it came out you're okay right. yeah yeah well so no matter if you're passing through town or in Nashville or visiting Nashville you can see them uh every monday night yes and you can see us on the road like i said yeah. if you go to vinskill.com and you'll that. find out exactly where There's, we are. And, and a couple studio records. Three studio records? Uh, they've had... I'm the I'm the third... Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm on the third one. Okay. Two, two previous before gotcha. as, a, as a drummer named Rick Van Oon, who's no yeah. longer with us. Okay. So, yeah. And did a great job. Yeah. So... Billy, thank you so much, man. This Absolutely. has been a joy. Glad to be here, Matt. I, yeah. I, it, it, I hope you got what you needed. Yeah. Well, I've known you forever, man. Uh, <laughs> probably more more you than you have me, but uh, since I've been to town and just kind of followed you here and there over the years and, and, and played as many of us in Nashville, uh, just cover so much of what Vince has, has done and, and so many of these things. And so it's just an, it's just an honor to, to speak with you and just to oh, thank you. get in, inside what's what you've been doing this this time, man. Yeah, it's been awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. it's 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 still coming at me. I get up and I ride my bike and I try and stay fit and keep it going on. You know. Yeah. So I hear you, dude. I hear you, Billy. Thank you, man. Absolutely, buddy. Yeah. So there's my conversation with Billy. Billy is one of those players that I have known since I moved here in 2000. He has uh, such an aura about him and a positive energy. That is, that is infectious. He smiles a lot when he plays, and I think he even talked about that in our conversation, how he just really enjoys what he's doing, and it's just one of those infectious things that gets you excited about music and drumming. It was really a lot of fun for us to finally connect, and I'm so honored that he took the time to speak with me and uh, be a guest on this podcast. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview. And many thanks to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance. If you recall, we had Joe Crabtree as a guest a few weeks ago, and he has some great things online. He's offered 10% off any of our listeners that are interested in his key counting method. If you go to keycounting.com slash working drummer, you can get 10% off. Also, if you go to joecrabtree.com slash join, you can get 20% off an annual gold pass or a lifetime platinum pass with the coupon code working drummer all one word so check that out but as for now we thank you all so much for listening and i hope to see you around bye-bye